Hi, and welcome to the next episode. I'm joined today by a fantastic speaker who I've only seen once before, but it was um, pretty engaging what he had to say. It's Neville Tynemouth from New Results. Hi, Neville. How are you doing? I'm absolutely brilliant, Martin. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Um, I love the absolutely brilliant. Is, is that the standard stock response that you say to people, or, or are you actually brilliant? Uh, do, do, do you know what? It's 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 part of it's a conditioned re response, um, and it's part of it is uh, that's generally how I feel. So, so what I've noticed, Martin, is just uh, somebody gave me this feedback once. They phoned me, and every time they phoned me, that they, they asked me how things were. I went, "Oh, really great, really positive, really brilliant." And actually, the reason I do that is not because everything is brilliant, just because sometimes we can talk ourselves in and out of our positivity. So it's 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 and it wasn't that wasn't planned. That was just that's what came out. Yeah, feel really good. Yeah. Good. I see. You, see, you, uh, do I take from that that if you went around going, well, I suppose I'm okay, that yeah. would if that would cause the mood rather than be the cause of the statement. Yeah, the, uh, and God, wait, we're going to dive straight into you, Martin. I hadn't thought this so early on. Um, there's a, there's a great bit of research around how the language that we use has a kind of a real effect on on what we do and how we behave. So, so there's some stuff around uh, something called priming of the brain. Uh, but if I rewind way before that, there's a really interesting book about the language that we use to ourselves consistently or the things that we become. So, so the priming of the brain stuff links back to um, or thinking fast and slow by, by Daniel Kahneman and the book uh, that talks about the language that you use that kind of has a positive or negative impact is simply called The Saboteur Within by Matt Hudson. Both really interesting books, completely different in terms of their approach. But both talk very much about how the language and approach that you use has a real effect on how you feel and what you do. And hey, that's why we're here, isn't it? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. We're here to talk about people who are making positive differences. Um, and, and mindset positivity is a key part of that as well. Um, mm. ne never one of the things that you touched on very briefly mm. where, when you very kindly helped us out on one of our presentations at Robson Laidler was you, you, you mentioned what to most would have seemed like a fairly impossible sell when you were helping out the team who were launching Dyson vacuums into the yes. UK um, or to the world, perhaps. Uh, they weren't anywhere, presumably. Do, do, do you want to just set what the, what, what, what the challenges were there? And presumably you needed to be fairly positive to get that off the ground. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a really interesting story, one that I often look back to. So there were elsewhere in the world. He's actually, James Dyson had launched um, the pre-runner to, to, to the Dyson that we saw in the UK across in Japan. So he launched a model, if my memory serves me, I think it was called the DA01 across in Japan. And um, it, it, it you know, made him some money and got him some success and he found some traction. And I think, and I have to dig back, we were a distributor that had the rights for a lot of different products and services. Uh, sorry, a lot of different products and uh, accessories. Uh, and we got the rights, I think it was across Europe for the first six months for Dyson as an exclusive. Uh, and I mentioned this, uh, and it's just worth noting here, it's, it's, it's one of those things that really sticks out in your mind. And it's funny how the small details really come back to you, make you really pause and think. Uh, when we launched Dyson, it retailed at £200. And that was three times the price of the average vacuum cleaner at the time. So an average vacuum cleaner was £71. That's the figure that always sticks. Uh, and here's us tromping about with a brand new product that nobody really quite liked at first. 
So it was gray, it was silver, it was see-through, it was yellow, who make yellow vacuum cleaners? We were so used to traditional beige and burgundy hoovers as they were predominantly, or Electrolux. Uh, and the whole world went, oh my God, this thing from Dyson, it looks terrible, it looks horrible, it's loud, it's noisy, it blows a lot of air, and how much is it? And you go, it's three times the price of everything else. And they go, oh, that's just never gonna sell. And I think, Martin, it comes back to, I've, I've always been in a sales role, I've always been in sales and sales development. And I think it's it's a mixture of positivity and resilience. And, and for me, I'm just quite an awkward sod. I like to try and find a way that makes things happen. I don't like to be beaten by something. Um, and, and what I like to do is try and uh, persevere and push and find a way to make things work. And the Dyson's probably a really great example of that. We have to find a way to make people smile about it, to feel positive about it, uh, to, to, to buy it in as a retailer, first of all, and then support them to actually sell it on to their consumers and their customers. And it was a, it was a fascinating and challenging journey. And I've had a few of them, actually. Uh, it, it didn't start there. It probably started, you know, setting up the, the, the car washing round when I was 13 or 14. I, I set me on car washing round up. I was involved with Dyson uh, with the launch for BlackBerry. BlackBerry was really similar you know, a really much more expensive product that nobody seemed like they wanted at the time. So there's lots of little instances where I've, I've been involved with products and services and solutions that aren't necessarily what the market thinks at once. But once you get out there and start talking about it, you get that positive reaction and engagement, which we're all we're all looking for. Yeah, I mean, you touched on something quite interesting there on, on, on the Dyson, the, the, the colouring, silver, grey, clear. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it was, but... I can't remember any vacuums before that where you could literally see the dirt you were picking up. I mean, that seems like an obvious advantage to someone who's thinking, I want to know what I'm getting. But I presume it could also then be people thinking, well, that's just going to look dirty. The yellow is going to get dirty. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so it's interesting, though, because I've never appreciated it. Your pitch here was to the shops. You were pitching yeah. it into retail, weren't you? Yes. And so you, so you had to convert them, but also persuade them they could convert customers as well. Yes. So, so you, you're almost having to engage them on two different levels. And you're right that about the plastic see-through bin piece. And I remember um, of all the places on the planet you're going to end up, there's a little place in Scotland called Kirk and Tillich. And it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little place. It was in the indoor market there, the guy who sold electricals. I remember having a conversation with him. He ended up being one of the best customers. No idea how, but he really loved the Dyson really early on. But one of the first things he asked me was if it'd be okay to paint the bin. He wanted to take this clear, see-through uh, kind of rub rubbish collection bin and paint it silver to match the rest of the vacuum cleaner because he thought, and I thought, I must admit, I was in the same boat, but most people go, oh, I don't want to see the dirt. We were so used to having a, a bag that was sealed away from the world and you took the bag and threw it away. And the idea of being able to see the dirt and dust that you collected, we assumed and we thought and we felt would be a big off. But, but I think once you started to use it, and it, and it was exactly in the shop in Kirk and Tillich where I remember running a Dyson DC01, the first upright across uh, this guy's uh, rug, as it was in the shop. After he'd cleaned it, he'd used a, a vacuum cleaner to clean. I went across the top with the, the Dyson demo that I had at the time. And he suddenly went, I get it. I can see all this dirt and dust that people are collect that I'm collecting. And that makes much more sense to me now and know how to sell it to my customers. And between us, we worked that out, which is probably why we went on to be uh, so successful with it, because he just understood it and you can relay that really, really easily.
Yeah, yeah, yes. and actually, if you, I mean, one of the first first things we did, and everybody probably did this, is you you, you vacuumed the floor and then tried the Dyson, and <laughs> the good thing is you instantly saw the result in that very clear thing, which probably was the thing you thought would put people off. Um, yeah, and you're right, Martin. So many times I've heard that, and it became a differentiator in a positive way. When it launched, it felt like it was a real differentiator in a negative way. It, yeah, it's it fascinating how these things work. You, you made it, 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 one, one of the sentences you said there talked about assuming. And of course, everyone knows the old saying about if you assume, you know, you make an ass and all of those things. Um, do, do you think people's prejudgments and assumptions are, are part of what drive how they approach something? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. One of the things that I really enjoy, Martin, is challenging people's assumptions and thoughts and ideas. And it's really hard. Um, so, so as human beings, we survive by making assumptions and we, uh, sorry, uh, and we survive by um, almost aggregating all of our experiences into a, an average. I, I think the, the technical term is heuristics. And these are, uh, you know, if we're presented with something that's got a sort of a, a six foot bit of wood by sort of two and a half foot across with a metal attachment in the middle, we kind of go, that's a door. And I know roughly how doors work. So in terms of evolution as a species, that's really useful. So we start aggregating and making these averages to make our lives easier so we can get on, do much higher order things like playing on Facebook or, you know, eating cheeseburgers, whatever the higher order things that we've achieved these days. But what's really fascinating is these assumptions and these aggregates and these heuristics creep into areas where we don't need them to so people start making assumptions based on the way that you look and what you uh, eat and what you say as to how you are uh, and uh, there's a great example of this I remember um, I never ever I'm, I'm, I'm a big petrol head I love cast a bit I never ever want the motorbike in my life and my wife for her 30th birthday decided she wanted to get a motorbike and learn to ride and I wasn't really very keen, but I thought, okay, so off we went and we both took our motorbike test and bought a motorbike. And I remember vividly, it's funny how these little things really stick in your head. Uh, we were away in the lakes and it was our wedding anniversary. So you kind of go, okay, wedding anniversary, usual kind of bit, not that prepared, but I thought I'll just, I'll be across the lakes, I'll find a nice hotel and it'll all be lovely. We're on the motorbikes, we're going to do a tour. And I remember walking into um, Tourist Information in Keswick. It's no longer there, but walked into Tourist Information and said, I'm looking for a hotel for this evening. And the woman behind the desk looked me up and down and kind of went, I could probably get your B&B for about 20 quid. And I went, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, because you're a biker now. You're a biker. Absolutely. She looked at the leathers and the helmet and went, you know, this guy's got no money. I was like, actually, and, I, and, and it... And this is me being awkward and kind of making things work. So I just kind of went, no, actually, I, I want a really nice hotel. Oh, um, but, well, hotels might start from like £50 a night. Well, yeah. I, I said, actually, oil, the oil will be welcome either, Neville. Absolutely. It's that, that assumption. I went, actually, just what's the poshest hotel? And at the time, she came up with the Swiss Lador Hotel. And you remember, she phoned up and she went, oh, well, They've got rooms, but they're £130, by which time, and I was broke at the time, it was way back, and I was broke, I was like, ah, is that the best room they can do? Well, hang on, they'll do a suite for £150, I'll have that, please. And it was that challenging of preconceptions and assumptions, and I've loved this through 
my personal life, through my career, through what I do in training. A lot of what I do in training is breaking these assumptions down and making people think and, and, and spot the things that you might not normally spot. And I love the fact that I'm just the same. I get drawn into the assumptions, but it's being able to recognize that and step back and go, how do I challenge my preconceptions, my thinking here to approach the world really differently? I think you've um, you just you just said something there which is interesting. I'm not really sure what this is to do with positivity, other than everything's linked. But this heuristics is 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 that the thing that lets you look at words where the letters in between the start and the end are mixed up, but you can still read it because your brain is kind of conditioned that if there's a four letter word that starts with W ends with D, it's probably would. It, it, um, is, is that is that a similar thing, or, or is that not your area? If you have no follow-up questions, the answer is yes. If you have follow-up right, questions, okay. well, well, I have no idea. Well, I won't yes. ask you for the detail on that. Then we'll, 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 we'll move on to the next question, if that's <laughs> No, no, it, it could well be. It, it sounds about right, actually, but I, I wouldn't like to definitively say yes. It, it sounds about right, yes, yes. Because you're right, though. If you see something about door size with a, with, with, with a metal hand-sized thing on, most people presume it's a door, and you pull it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's been many a prank. I'm trying to remember back to me old uh, Jeremy Beadle Saturday Night TV days where it wasn't you've been framed. What was he used to do that before that? Where, where they would set up pranks and like yeah. crush people's Beatles cars. About. Beatles about. Yeah, I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's an episode on Beatles about with false doors. I'm sure there is. Um, if I had a budget and a team and a production team behind this, I would find a clip and I would put it in now. It's not there though, so. But I've I've queued that up because I'm a positive person and one day there will be a team of people and we'll come back, we'll backfill this with some Beatles about. Um, You you, you mentioned there as well, um, obviously you're in the business of helping people to challenge the way they work. How how do you, you know, overcome the, the negative mindset? And, and would it be a fair assumption that if people are asking you to come in and speak to them, they're presumably not an entirely closed kind of mind. They must be a little bit open to have even asked you, but assume you've got the worst possible, the slightest crack in the door there. What, what, what's, what's your go-to? What do, what, what do you challenge them with? And I, I think for me, and it, it's a really interesting question, Martin, because this whole bit about positivity and, uh, you know, life isn't always that way. You know, life is going to, deal you some pretty damn hard knocks. And it's, I suppose for me, the positivity is how you deal with them. So, so one of the challenging bits that we often see, so, so go back to my answer, your very first question, how's things? Absolutely brilliant. So many of us in so many situations are just throwing away uh, words and phrases like that without actually thinking about it. So how many times, and I've done this myself, so I'm, I'm, I'm equally as guilty here. I've been to networking events in the past when I first started the business, when folks used to say, how's, how's business? Oh, business is great. I'd be thinking, I have no idea how I'm paying the bills this month. And the positivity bit for me is not, not um, kind of discounting or ruling these things out or ignoring them. It's about appreciating them and doing something with them. So if I'm working with a client who's recognised something, or even just recognize that they need a conversation about this, that's generally a great starting point. And there's, there's one or two little telltale signs whether somebody's going to go for this or not. Uh, um, but for me, I think just the fact that somebody's warm and open and ready for a conversation says, well, actually, there are some, some simple things we can do here really to um, 
help people uh, move forward. Yes, yes. And, and, and do you think then that, because you said it depends on what your approach to things are, do you think people with better resilience are more positive? Do you think there's a, a direct correlation between someone's resilience and the pressure or in the, in, in the face of challenges and how positive they are on the way out? I, I, I'm not sure about that, Martin. It's a really interesting question, that one, actually. I think the resilience is going to help you because one of the resilience techniques is finding some of the positivity and even in challenging times. So, you know, that, that kind of bit, bit would lead itself towards. But there don't have to be a direct correlation because I've met some folks who are really resilient, but I wouldn't have necessarily called them positive. You know, they're resilient in their way that they're going to be negative, but that's fine. But they are resilient and they are kind of hard working and focused and all those things, but they're not necessarily positive and upbeat and bright, but, but, but they are resilient in their own way. So I don't know if there's a correlation between the two. They're probably complementary and they'll almost feed and fan the, the flames, if that makes sense, of positivity. But, but just being resilient, I don't think will necessarily make you more positive and vice versa, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, oh, oh, I, I don't know. I make, I make these questions up as I go, as you can see, Neville, just based on conversation. Um, from your clients, yeah. is it, would you be able to say that the clients who have best results are the ones that are positive? Or, 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 or do you think you can work through negativity and have success despite it? Yeah, I, 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 Martin, I, if you're making these questions off the cuff, you're making up some brilliant questions, by the way. These are like, I've, these I've are got, coming yeah, from somewhere I've got, else. I've got nothing in front of me. I've got, no, I've, I've got a pen, but I just <laughs> all I do is drop it. <laughs> uh, yes, what you've got is you've got a team of people in front of you that I can't see. Ask them this, ask them that. I can see what's happening. Yes, next one. <laughs> Thanks. Now, I, I think for me, um, uh, positively better results. Yeah, I, th I think there's, there seems to be a correlation. Again, it's, uh, there's lots of scenes and things here because you're making me think about some stuff. Uh, what's interesting is there's two different ways or, or two different um, approaches that people might adopt. They might, they might look towards uh, achieving something or they might uh, look at moving away from some area of pain. Uh, and this is a context-specific bit of language they might use to describe where they're moving and what they're doing. Uh, and what's really fascinating is uh, when people do this, um, either we'll get the results and move them, uh, you know, um, closer to their um, ultimate outcomes. But but one person can be, you know, talking an awful lot about, you know, uh, moving away from a challenge or getting away from an issue or pain or or not repeating uh, current mistakes. The other one could be, you know, talking about achieving a goal and uh, getting to the very best outcome that they want. We do some really similar work together but we dress up the language that we use and the way we engage people slightly differently uh, as to match their way of thinking in that moment. Because we all do this at times. We're all either moving away from something or moving towards something. Uh, and, and I'm not saying either one's more or less positive, but we just match that bit. And I think for me, I think positive people appear, again, just to be a bit more open to a conversation and a bit more open to challenge very often, which is which is never a bad thing. We all like to, sorry, we all benefit from, benefit from being challenged now and again. It's not a, not a bad thing, is it? And if you're not being challenged by the people around you, then you might need different people around you because you should be challenged, shouldn't you? Um, you, you mentioned there, the Neville, there's, there's two, two different approaches to, you have different approaches to the two 
if I pick this up right, the two main things that bring people to you. So one is they've got a, a challenge or they're in pain and that needs to be overcame. I don't mean physical pain. I, I, I might mean they're working, you know, too many hours every day, too many days of the week and they need to fix that. Um, and I suppose on the other side is, and they're presumably people who've been beaten into submission to accepting that they need help. And then I presume on the other side, you've got people who just walk in the door and say, I've got a great chance Neville, I want to get it right. Can you help me grab this opportunity? And they feel like they're, 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 they would approach things totally differently. Which one do you think is the, is the bigger driver for people? Um, it, it, it's interesting, sorry, and just to rewind, Martin, I don't think the people that are moving away from stuff have often been beaten into submission. It's very often they've recognised it themselves. I remember um, speaking to, um, and it genuinely was a solicitor sat outside on the, the quayside in Newcastle, and the language he used to describe stuff was really interesting. We don't want to repeat last year's mistakes. We don't want to miss budget like we did last year. We don't want to lose as many clients as we did last year, all of which was negative things that they want to move away from. And it wasn't because somebody had beaten them up. He'd recognised these things. It's just how he described them. Uh, and what's fascinating is, um, you know, either side of that coin is, is, is looking for a different outcome. And it's just helping them appreciate how we move from that position uh, and how we kind of either get away from that pain or get towards that goal. And, uh, you know, people approach. And again, uh, you know, the, the openness is really important for me. Um, so positivity is, is less about being, you know, really rah-rah all the time and, right, you know, the, the, the world's sunshine and, uh, you know, fluffy bunnies. It's really about the world's challenging and it can be sunshine and fluffy bunnies, but, you know, it's almost a reality bit. Somebody who is positive and uh, upbeat for me is somebody who recognises the challenges and are open to a dialogue and a discussion and a conversation. And, and I'm sorry, this will date when we did the video, but the Olympics are happening at the minute. And if you look at how people address the challenges they've got in a four-year prep for something that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, it's fascinating. And some of them will be really driven by, I need the gold medal, and some of them will be really driven by the, uh, I don't want to miss out like I did last time. Either one's a positive outcome they're looking for, but it's how they dress it up and approach it is very, very different. Yeah, yeah. I haven't caught much of the Olympics yet, but it's... But, but... You've already talked, it's a good topical thing to go at. And I watched an interview yesterday with Adam Peaty, the swimmer, who I'm not giving any spoilers away because this won't be out probably for another you know, week or 10 days. But he's just become the first, um, it was the first ever or the first British swimmer to retain his gold in, in, in his particular discipline. Um, but he was asked after his, um, presumably the semi or the trials, whatever it was, and they said, oh, you know, you... How did you take that? You know, what about what were you, did he have an eye on the clock? And, and, and his response is, well, this is never about the time. It's always just a race. I'm only trying to beat the other people. Now, that, 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 that could mean so much to so many people. And I'm sure there's people who could put a negative spin on that. But he's kind of right. You've just yeah. got to beat the person in the lane beside you or the lane across from you. Um, if you've comfortably got that one in the bag, you start to have an eye on the clock. I'm not showing a 100-metre sprint as much time for that unless you're Usain Bolt, you know, walking backwards the last 30 metres. But, yeah, it was quite, it's quite interesting because all he has to do in that literally 20 seconds or so that it takes him is put everything that he's done in the previous four years into those 20 seconds and you get one shot. And it must crush people who fail. 
And he then bring me back to, we watched the Taekwondo, I think it was, men's 85K final or whatever. And the scoring in Taekwondo was kind of going up and down. And, you know, the, the lead changed hands about four times in the last round. And the British lad got the silver medal. And I nearly said he lost it. He didn't. He won a silver medal. He didn't lose a gold. He's never yes. had that. Yes. Um, but he won a silver medal. And I, and, and I, and I did think he's going to have a hell of a challenge picking himself up after that because he was so close. Had there been about 10 less seconds in the entire round, he would have basically got a gold medal. And he's going to have, you know, his coach is going to have a challenge picking up, I suspect. And it is. And, and, and it's, so there's lots of fascinating bits in there, Martin. And I think for me, you know, I think the really hard bit must be, if you think about what we do day to day, okay, let's, let's say you and I get something wrong at work today, because we do all do occasionally, we have an off day and we're in that silver medal position rather than the gold medal position, which is okay, but not great. Chances are we've got another opportunity tomorrow or next week or next month. For an Olympian, it's like, yeah, you didn't you didn't get your gold this time. It's four-year wait, and you need to be, you know, kind of on top of your game in four years' time. That's really tough. And, you know, I have no idea how people kind of cope with the pressure or the intensity or the, the, the weight of expectation. And I caught a bit of the taekwondo. I hadn't caught the final yet, but thanks for the heads up. Uh, I haven't caught the uh, the final yet, but it's, that's all right. I'd, I'd seen the semis where he just won and it, it flicked backwards and forwards. And, and there was a massive expectation that he was, I think he won the world championship from right. And he was expected almost to win the goal. But this is the ultimate, this is the, the best in the world. So that weight of expectation, it's got to have an impact on you. And one of the things that we need to be really conscious of, if we want to be our best selves and we want to maintain and be positive and, and really get to where we want to be is, you know, how much of this external influence and um, um, effect and uh, kind of pressure and um, uh, input do we allow in? Do we allow it all in and soak it all up? Or do we just become a shield and just bounce it back and say, no, I need to focus on me? And, it's, and again, that's a fascinating bit about positivity for me. Do you absorb this stuff and deal with it? Or do you just bounce it back and let it go away from you? And again, we're back to um, the resilience piece, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, and what always amazes me as well is with, with, with most Olympians are young. There are some sports where you can seemingly go on forever, but you know, not, not many. There aren't many 45-year-old 100-metre sprint finalists. As much as I would like to think I could have a crap at it, I, I, I know I couldn't. Um, so you're often talking about people in their, in their young or early 20s, or even, you know, you think back, was we 10 years ago now almost, um, probably eight years ago, Tom Daly at the age of, you know, what, what was he, 16 or something? And he'd been competing presumably years before that as well to qualify to get into the Olympics. And yeah, just, I, I don't know how they just, and there's so much writing on that one thing. Because you're right, we, we, we say something wrong to a client one day, you can pick it up the next day and hopefully yeah. no harm. Or if there is harm, it doesn't finish everything. It's not your last chance or your only chance at it. So yeah, it's it, it is interesting. It is. But you you, you mentioned something earlier as well, though um, Neville about I can't remember exactly what you said, but you said something like deconstructing the problem and and, and looking at something in a different way. Um, do do you find that you have an advantage not being in the same sector as your clients? Because you've got fresh eyes, maybe naive eyes, you can ask a question that they would have dismissed. 
but they shouldn't have dismissed. Uh, do, do you think just a different approach can help to bring out ideas and positivity? Ah, uh, 100%. Uh, one of the real things I love about my job, there's two sides to this actually. It's, it's, we tend to work across all professional services. So we work in lots of different sectors that are all related and similar in some way, shape or form. But some of them can be very, very different. And I think there's two bits that really stand out in terms of you know, helping people identify where they are. The first thing is that we are external. So, so while I act as a coach and a mentor and support for people, uh, I also uh, get coaching and mentoring and support for myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, grand. Does, yeah. Uh, and, and one of the things that um, really kind of um, helps me keep sharp is that external view. And that's exactly what I bring to clients. It's that little bit of external challenge, that viewpoint. Uh, and that, you know, um, when you get too close to it, when you get really emotionally associated with it, you just don't see it. So working with a client last week, one of the things they had a really big pitch to do to a really big company. And, and they had all this pitch and they've created the pitch deck and all the senior team loved it. And isn't this fantastic? It's the best thing since sliced bread and we're ready to go and get it. And I stroll and go, well, that's a bit pants. I didn't use those exact words, if you understand. I just kind of started in with a bit of, tell me why we're using this slide. And you, you seem to have crammed an awful lot of fonts and bullet points into those slides. And it was just, uh, what they hadn't realized is they were looking at everything from their perspective. And it just took a few really gentle questions. I'd never tell anybody it looked a bit pants. That just wouldn't work. But when you asked a few gentle questions, they started saying, actually, we're looking at this the wrong way around. We need to see it from the client's perspective, not ours. And that's exactly what we promote. And it's like, oh, yeah, they probably don't want to see it that way around. And we could make it more specific. We could make it more engaging. And they suddenly they got it. But because they were also kind of joined into their internal world and their own little internal view. It was like, oh my God, and this is what we're doing. Isn't it fantastic? And it, it needs an external pair of eyes to say, well, actually, no, let's have a look at this really and see how it goes. And that works just the same for me. It's, it's you know, go down to a personal level. You've got friends, you know, take business away and just say from a personal level, how many times as a friend or a relative or somebody that you're really close to said, well, here's an obvious solution for you. One that you can't see yourself that you kind of go, well, why didn't I spot that? It's really obvious. And the reason you can't spot them, the reason it is so obvious is because you're too close to it. You're too emotionally associated with it. Uh, and, and, and for me, it's that, that's one of the bits that I love. It's that external piece. The other bit, and you're right, working across a number of different sectors and working across, sorry, not sectors, uh, you know, types of organizations, you bring in a solution from a different type of organization and it makes people sit up. Well, well, how would that apply to us? Well, we don't know yet. Let's have a look. And you think, actually, this is a real creative way of looking at how we shape and, and change the problem that we're facing and get to a better solution. So the two bits, the, the, the number one is the external bit to help them really see that bit that they can't see themselves. And the second bit is just bringing in bits that I've learned along the way, that commercial experience to say, well, actually, in other industries, I've seen them do this, or this has worked, or we can approach it this way, which would put a very, very different look on it. And again, it astounds me. I was speaking to somebody the other day about this. Somebody asked me to join a network that was specific to one uh, individual profession. That's great. That's a really in-depth, niched depth of learning. I absolutely get it. But what happens if the profession that's next to it, next to it, next to it says, well, actually, here's a different way of doing it. And, and in my wide and varied things that I get involved with for my positivity mark. One of the things I was involved with recently, and I've come back to this a couple of times, I might have even mentioned it in the talk that I, I gave for you guys, was I got a chance to uh, interview uh, Jean-Christophe Novelli, the 
chef. And somebody asked him a question and said, you know, if I want to become a chef and I'm quite young and in college, what do I do and how do I learn these things? He said, study as hard as you can, clearly, you know, pay up, uh, sorry, uh, show up and kind of learn and, you know, be ready and all the rest of it. But then he said, go and look at your local bakery and learn what they do. Go and speak to the butcher, the greengrocer, get this rounded view of what you do, not this little insular, here's how a chef works, but how everything works around a chef. And that's exactly what I encourage a lot of my customers to do. Yes, you're in this industry doing these things, but actually what's the ecosystem around you and what does that tell you and how will you benefit and how will you grow your resilience, your understanding and, and your positivity by knowing and understanding more about your marketplace. It's just, it, it, it's it's great fun. You can tell I'm passionate about it and that's, that's a bit- Yeah, it's, got, that's, it's quite interesting now. And, and, and actually with, with chefs there, you've touched on something that more, more and more now, it seems if you're watching anything where someone's cooking, will tell you about how they spent time with the local farmer learning how they grew the radish rather than just bought a radish if, yeah. if that may or, or they spend time with the the farmer to learn about how they raised the cow that turned into the cut of meat that they want and they spend time with the butcher on how they got the cut from the animal and 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 there seems to be a lot more focus on that kind of granular attention to detail up up the chain as it were which, yeah. which, you know, I think River Cottage, I can't remember who the chef behind River Cottage is now, but they literally got some like 500 acres. It's not Heston, is it? No, uh, I want to say, um, go on, and I'll shout his name out in a sec. Yeah, yeah, no, um, oh, I nearly had it, it doesn't matter. But anyway, they, but, but, but they, 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 they thought, well, actually, the thing we put on the plate at the end is so, there's so much influence on what went before it that we can't ignore that bit. We need to get in. Now, most people would ac ac accept that nod and say, yeah, I can see why that would make sense for a, a chef, but I'm a solicitor. So what, 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 what would you say there then? I, I think for me, there's a number of things, um, or the name was on the tip of my tongue there, just disappearing. I can picture him and I'll shout his name out in a sec. Um, I think for me, so, so one of the things that we know um, really uh, clearly now is, you know, through all the research that we do, that people's decision-making comes from very much from a root of emotion. Uh, and the emotion and enthusiasm and engagement that comes with understanding the sources of, like you say, you know, the, the, the farmer who raises the cow or grows the, the vegetable, whatever it might be, we understand their passion and their enthusiasm. Uh, and when we get that emotional association with other humans, we, we create this positive emotional state and we know um, through some of the work that we do and some of the great research we've been helping support with is um, if, if we're in a positive emotional state, we, we process more information. That's one thing. We process more complex information. That's also really uh, important. But the third thing is we become more adventurous. So that positive emotional state is process more information, process more complex information and become more adventurous. And we become more open to new ideas, new creative ways of working. And that's growth and development for me. And the second bit is, and this is a bit of research that popped up just this week. It was talking about um, those in professional service. I think it actually was focused on the legal sector, a really big survey, saying that those that had a really strong network got much more, you know, so... Obviously, we always associate a strong network with more billable hours, but actually it's more billable hours plus more job enjoyment, plus better career prospects, plus better projects to work on. And all of these things came out by somebody taking a positive approach 
approach to building a network, not just networking, uh, and, and looking outside of their own organization, building the internal networks, absolutely, but connecting up with the accountant, with the finance person, with the, uh, you know, everybody in that professional side of the banker, whoever it might be, so you have a really powerful and strong network around you. And, and for me, you know, on the subject of positivity, one of the things that I love is having such a broad, positive and supportive network around me. That's what life's all about. From a personal business perspective, I think you're defined, and, and this is really kind of, you know, I'm, I'm pretty teaching you to suck eggs here, Martin, but there's, you know, having a positive support network around you is just vital for everything that we do. Well, yeah, it's, um, and there's a danger I'm going to go off into like a, in, in a deep dive here, but I won't. But I've just listened to, I think it's something like episode three of Matthew Syed's podcast called Sideways. And he, it, there's an episode where he talks about how, I'll paraphrase, but basically years ago, the church influenced the way people got married. Instead of marrying within clans, which if anything was more insular, you then, you didn't marry your second cousin or your cousin or whatever. You, you, and, and what what you got is this massive then cross pollination of societies, and and the suggestion is that that is why the West advanced the way it did, is because exactly of that sharing of ideas from oh, well actually the, the the next valley there, great it metal work and wear good with leather, well let's combine and come up with something else, um, and it, it talks about how, and I think everybody knows this behind every great man is it. Well, it's behind every great person. There's probably a team of people who've nudged them along the way. And no good idea I've ever had, I would argue, is 100% mine. It's always an adaptation of something you've seen, heard, tried before, stole, you know, whatever, isn't it? Recycled. And, and, and that's absolutely right. And I think, and we had this recently, so this is from a personal perspective. We, we've sold our house and we're moving. So we currently live Washington, Shiny Row. And had a couple of our neighbours saying, oh, you know, so where is it you're moving? Went to, assuming uh, this all goes ahead, and I'm hoping by the time you launch it, I'll have gone ahead and I'll be in the new house. Uh, we're moving just south of Blythe to a place called Newsham, and it's like, people look at me and go, Blythe? As if Blythe's the other end of the planet. Like, oh, my God, you've, you're moving all the way up there. It's like, it's a 20-minute drive. And I have to put this in context. When I met my wife, we, we both worked for the same firm, but she lived in Stoke, and I lived in Glasgow and we spent weekends belting up and down the country. And I used to cover, you know, 30, 40,000 miles a year in a car. And if somebody says to me, you're driving to Blythe, you kind of go, it's like just around the corner. But to a lot of people, we have this. Yeah. And the Northeast seems to do this really well, this really insular bit. We need to get out. If we live in a Newcastle, we need to be in Sunderland and finding out all the brilliant things that are happening. If we're in a Sunderland, we need to be down in Hartlepool and finding out what goes on in Hartlepool, what, you know, what's happening. If we're in Edinburgh, we need, we need to do this cross-pollination piece because you're right, these are the, the seeds of creativity that allow us to grow and find new collaborative and cooperative ideas that move us forward. And, and I didn't realize Matthew Side had a new podcast. I love his stuff. I was I genuinely just shared something on LinkedIn from Matthew Side today. I love his books, so I'll be looking that one up and having a listen to what he's got to say on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I first came across him um, because of Black Box Thinking, a fantastic book. Which, if anyone wants, I would say it's the go-to book on mindset. That in, in my experience, it might just be the way he speaks. I don't know. I know one of the lads in the office can't can't stand him because apparently he used to be a sports journalist and. 
thought the tune had big aspirations beyond beyond what they could achieve. So so it doesn't matter what he says forever now. He slated the tune, so that's it. He's in the done. That's it. No more. Um, and, and actually, sorry, just on that point, I really liked his first book, Bounce. So the, the I bounce. Done that. Ah, uh, you see. I, I, yeah, I went straight in, straight in at the second one. Yeah. Black Black Box Thinking, I think, is a brilliant book. It really gets you thinking. And again, it's it's how you learn, how you develop all those pieces from the mistakes that you make, and whether you got that open mind and culture. But the bounce bit, he goes back to uh, the ten thousand hours and the learned behaviour, and um, he, he was just curious about where uh, you know uh, elite sports people came from and the journey he goes on. Uh, you know, with him and his peers um, in the table because he's a, uh, I think it was a, I think it was really British champion. I'm not sure he got ping pong. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and and I find that a bit fascinating. So yeah, I should be having a look for that as well. That sounds really good. Yeah, um, it's it's funny you mentioned there about the northeastern attitude to travel. We'll say, um, and, and it's quite interesting because I've spoke to people in London, and actually I've also we've got a family relative who moved to Australia. 30 year ago um, and, and she has the same thing um, but you, you can speak to someone in London they'll say where are you based on Newcastle oh yes I've got a pal in in York do you ever get do, do you nip down there and it's like and, and to me I used to think why the hell would I nip to York you know it's like it felt like you were, you, you may as well have said do you ever like you know manually stitch a hot air balloon together and you know fly around the world it's like but but, but actually it's no distance really is it and I, and I wonder why that is and I used to think well clearly they don't understand the north but actually I wonder whether it was just we in the north have a different mindset because we are more tribal and I know certainly in football in terms it's us versus them and you know smoggies mackens you know and, and mags but I just wonder whether it's us actually, whether whether we could benefit as a region if we were a bit more, I'll say travelled, but I, d- I don't know if that's the right word. Just travelled. I like it. It, it. You've made me think a few things. That you might need to put some uh, show notes in when you talk about Moggies and Mackins and uh, the Mags because you'll have you're, what on earth are these terms. Just uh, but just a heads up there. But for me, you're right. I think that little bit about we need to be more well travelled. And we need to be absorbing different cultures and ideas and approaches and, and looking at the world differently. You, you made me instantly think in my last employee job, I had a brilliant boss, really loved them to bits. But, you know, being based kind of Washington, let's say, I remember him phoning one day, now we've got a bit of an issue, can you just pop to Aberdeen? Yeah. I beg your pardon, yeah. sorry. Can you just pop to Aberdeen? Whoa, 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 whoa. There's no, no, I just need to pop into Aberdeen. No, no, there is no pop to Aberdeen. You know, that's quite a long drive. Oh, it doesn't look far on the map. Do me a favour. Next time you're up, I'll put you in the car. He never, he never came up. He, he didn't travel well at all. But when, I said, next time you're up, we'll have a drive at Babadine and see what you think. And, and bless him, it was he, he was a great manager. His only foible was he wouldn't travel. Uh, he held. It's it, it's it's probably on a map. It's probably it's probably shorter from Newcastle to Aberdeen than it is London to Newcastle. But forgetting this, you know, single train straight up the East Coast, which I, I'm not sure there is to Aberdeen. I, I don't think there is. There was at the time, actually, yes. You could get... Uh, could you actually don't have to change in Edinburgh? I can't remember. I, I, I caught the train a couple of times and drove a couple of times, just the nature of the job. It sounds like you just didn't want to do it, Neville. It sounds like you're trying to blame him, but actually it sounds like you were just a bit lazy, if I'm honest. Well, that's it. I just, you know, the, the, the thought of a 350-mile, probably seven hours each direction <laughs> trip in the car. Just to pop it and sort me out, sound a bit of a challenge, but you know, it's um, it, it, it's always fascinating for me the bit about how 
how well we engage with us. And, you know, we're probably quite unusual as a Northeast business. We do the vast majority of our business outside of the Northeast. So we know a few folks in the Northeast. We've got a good network. And this probably comes back to working, you know, across the UK and a, a bit of international work. Um, it, it's that little bit about you build networks in different places. I've got quite a good network of folks in Edinburgh. I've got quite a good network of folks in London, but in the Northeast, I've got a great network, but we don't necessarily do lots of business. It just, it tends to be where you go. Yeah. That's, what, yeah. Um, I, I haven't read it, but there's a book called something like the Northumbrian or about Northumbria. If I, if I can mind on, I'll, I'll put it in the link. But um, one of my pals was telling me that what, one of the interesting things is this, is this, is the mindset of the typical Northumberlandian, Northumbrian, that's a better word, is, um, is, is generally different, you know, it, it, I, and I'm probably not doing this book any justice, but the way it was described to me is that there is almost a, not, not a chip, but like we, we know our place, we shouldn't expect to get anything other than what's in front of you, you shouldn't reach for the stars, and, 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 and do you think that could be a link there between the kind of work you do, which you have to opt into, you have to want to change, and the fact that you don't do much of it around here, do you think there could be a link? Yeah, and I, 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 you just maybe think of a couple of really little simple examples there. Um, there's a couple of examples where people have turned up for our sessions and been really surprised by what they've been confronted with. Generally, not always, but generally in a positive way, because we really do make people think. And I think one, of the, and this goes right the way back to the assumptions bit. When people have an assumption of what they're going to get and how things are going to work and what it's going to look like, it, it, it really challenges them when you give them something that they don't expect. And I think for me, a lot of uh, people's expectations are set from such a young age, and it's such a cultural piece. Um, you know, for my uh, dissertation for my final year of an economics degree, which I kind of just scraped through, I did some comparisons between St Albans and Sunderland in terms of aspirations about part-time jobs uh, and, and people leaving university or leaving higher education or further education. And what was fascinating is the aspirations and goals and output in St Albans were way higher, unsurprisingly, but I couldn't track that. I wasn't clever enough at that point, probably not clever enough still, to track down exactly why that was the case. But we seem to have this cultural idea that, oh, you know, we're at this level and that's good. And if we get a little bit more, that's, that's okay. But I think we need to challenge some of these things and say, you know, and I'm, I'm going to go passionate for two minutes here. I think we do some brilliant things across the Northeast. And I think what um, one of the Northeast expressions, again, show notes here, we'll need to explain the shy bands getting out. I think a lot of the time we are shy bands. I think we're a little bit self-deprecating that we don't do things to the level that others do. And we think because we're not a Manchester or a London or an Edinburgh, that we, we, we don't sometimes belong. I think we do. I think we, we play extraordinarily well in certain fields, but we're just not that confident enough to go out and say, here's us and here's what we do and here's how brilliant we are. And there's brilliant folks in Edinburgh and Manchester and London as well. I get that. But I think we need to just start claiming our place and saying, hey, you know, we're positive, we're bright, we're upbeat and we're good at what we do. And if you add that little magical dust in, we're actually really friendly folk as well, which can take you a massive distance on top of the competence that you've got. So, yeah, that, that's the piece for me that we need to get better at. It, I, I wonder when things change then, Neville, because I, I read a fantastic um, book on George Stevenson, who, you know, I mean, if you 
I would hope most people would know who George. If you're still with us at this point in in this interview, I would hope it means you've, you know, you've read a book, looked at anything ever. Um, but George Stevenson did some great stuff. But part of the the the, the book talks about his struggle, um, and the fact that we now call you know miners' lamps the Davy lamp, even though there's a good argument that actually George Stevenson kind of created this and. Um, I'll not go so far as to say his idea was stolen. And I won't read the comments on this video about, you know, from Davy's great great grandkids or whatever. But um it, it what's what's interesting is it was almost like, well, well, that that uneducated Geordie bloke surely didn't invent it. It must have, it's a bit like that biker thing. Or, you know, is the northeast full of bikers? Or does people do people look at us as if we're all bikers? Um, you know, and you've got you've got Armstrong and Loads of other stuff. There's stuff happening right now, some really cool stuff. And I just don't think, I don't think we just, I don't think we think it's ours. I think we almost must just think, oh, well, someone's done something good, but why could I? And I don't know where that comes from. Is that like an educational thing or just like a, a family thing? I think it's, it's, it's an educational and cultural piece. I think the aspirations that we set, I'm going to link a couple of things together here. And when you start to talk about Stevenson, I was going to throw a really bad joke and say, didn't he play left back for Newcastle? But then you started to explain that he did. <laughs> Just like anybody who doesn't know he played left back for Newcastle did a great job. Um, I think for me, it's the education, it's the cultural piece. But it's almost that kind of expectation. It goes back and, it, hey, this is a really circular bit, Martin. I love it when life does this. So we were really fortunate. We do some work with the Sutherland Business Improvement District. And we were told to go in. We were creating city ambassadors to talk about the city in a real positive way. We put together a training program, had a team go in and deliver it. And what was fascinating is you'd bring in people from Sutherland and go, OK, so one of the first exercises that we did, warm them up, get them talking, and then say, OK, so you know what positive things are happening in Sutherland? And the answer was nearly always the same. And the answer was always nout. There's nout positive happening in Sutherland. Yeah, and we go, yeah. right, OK. So part of the exercise, disappear off in the sun and go in different places and go and do some research. And they'd come back and they'd come back with lists and lists and lists of stuff going on. Oh, there's this happening. There's that and there's that. Go oh, I didn't know that was happening. And what tends to happen, and this is the, again, this is through work, the research that we've done, it appears that our brain tends to hang on to the negative more often than the positive. So if you think about our amygdala, the oldest part of our brain, it's designed to keep us away from danger. Therefore, it recognises all the negativity on a regular basis because that's the dangerous stuff and it likes to keep us away from that. And we need to remind ourselves a little proddy stick every now and again to spot the good stuff. And so from a personal level, one of the things that I do to try, because I'm not very good at this, I recognise, I, I get the end of a week and I think, oh, that was a terrible week then. You know, it's, it's really been challenging and difficult and hard work and da, 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 whatever else. But, but what's fascinating is every Sunday for the last 82 weeks, I've made myself sit down and write something on LinkedIn called the best things this week. Hashtag BTTW. And all I do is try and pick about three positive things, some work, some personal, there's a real mix in there. And very often I'll sit down and think, oh, it's, been, it's been one of them weeks. How, how am I going to find three things? And virtually every single week, it's like, by the time I'm starting writing out, it's like, oh, how do I squeeze it down to just three? Which, which cup I'm going to leave out? Because loads of good stuff happened. Because the brain's just so programmed to remember the bad, the negative, the issues, the challenges, and not get the positive stuff, that we need to get better at going, okay, let's just take a pause 
And when we were in the office and we used to do this, same thing. We knew this. We knew the research. It would say, everybody, okay, what's the best thing that's happened for you this week? And everybody would go, well, nothing good's happened. And then somebody would go, oh, we had that lovely feedback on Monday. From, oh, yeah, we had that lovely feedback. Oh, Tuesday, that client phone in, had that massive win. All right, yeah, we did that coaching for that massive win. Oh, we won that really big tender. Okay, well, we got that big tender. We've had that lovely client. And yeah. Oh, we got that. Oh, yeah, we've got that. And you go, well, apart from all that, what good? This, and this, 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 this sounds like... Um trying to keep off the politics but this sounds like the um was it i don't know who played john luke picard oh Papa yes Stuart did something like well well, well well apart from all of these things what's europe ever done for us and, and it was a skit on an old sketch from something from years ago i think wasn't it um but it was, uh, it's the monty python what have the romans ever done for us that was yeah. it that was it well, well, yeah. well there was sanitation i mean sanitation yes. and roads and education yes. and the roads and, yes Yes, but apart from everything, and, and it's funny, you know, because we 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 identified quite early in lockdown last March, Neville, um, that one of the things we would miss by not being in the office, because we've got two offices, it's about you know, it's about hundred people across two offices, um, two thirds probably in Newcastle, a third down the road in, in Chesterley Street, and we realised that by not being in there and not making a cover bumping into someone from another department you would you would miss out on this kind of I think I call it cross-pollination earlier but we'll keep the reproductive terms out of the office yes yeah, that's the, the, this, yeah. this 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 cross-pollination of ideas let's just say but also we realize that people might get out of touch with just the general news the general feel the buzz the, whatever you want to call it so we we, we started having a, a Friday sync meeting we call it where we kind of like every every, de every department head or, or you know it's about 20 of us across the firm all jump on and say, this is what my team's been up to. These were the wins. These are the reflections that we've had. You know, the, this is an update on, on client news, etc. And I, I've actually found it's really good. I probably know more about what other departments are doing now than I did when we sat in the office. Bearing in mind, I'd sat in that office for probably 20 years and knew most of, most of the people really well. But it's just funny, it, it, by, by actually creating that event we made yeah. the sharing of these things happen and 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 I, and I know it's one of your, your 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 things that you don't like but i love your hack your life hack there to to ensure positivity um but but yeah i i was i was going to say i'll explain why that's not a, what why, why don't you like that term the neville you don't like life hack do you you don't like this i i, I don't know i'm um it's a language thing for me you know people say oh you know um uh, it's a life hack or a business hack. What, what you mean it's a tip or it's a technique or it's a tool. Uh, and I think um, I, I love simplicity and it probably doesn't come across in today's video. I love simplicity in language and how much can get lost by using some real complex words. And for me, I think if we can just find, well, here's a simple tip for getting the best out of you. Here's a simple tip. If the first few times I heard life hack, I'm like, have I missed something? Am I, I just hack to me means getting an axe out and taking swings at a big tree because that's what you're hacking it down, which is probably a good northeast expression. Again, you might need some show notes there, hacking things down. Hey, no, um, no, I, 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 this is a difficult listen for anybody who isn't the northeast, and, and, and that's how I want it to be. I, I don't want those outsiders getting in on us. Oh, that's it. Hey, we don't want to cross pollinate, <laughs> but, but I think it's just, I don't know, it, it's, I, I think we sometimes try and dress up. And I've seen this a lot in business over the years. You know, you kind of get this with the experience. 
people dress up something and give it a new new um, name or a new slightly different twist or a new acronym. And it's like, actually, what you mean is it's a simple tip for improving the way you work. Uh, but now it's a life hacker. It's a business hacker. It's, you know, it, it's whatever. And I don't know. It's just I'd rather keep it really simple. Give me a tip for, you know, making us more productive and successful in the office. Great. Sit down on a Friday afternoon with a cup of tea virtually or in real life. And just everybody give me the one best thing that's happened for them this week. And you will leave that meeting in a completely different emotional space. You'll start the weekend feeling positive. You'll get back to work on Monday. We used to have it written up in the whiteboard in the office, everybody's name and their best thing against it. And you look at it all week and go, God, there's lots of good stuff going on. And it's just, again, we're back to that positivity bit. You're in such a, such a, such a better place, such a better place. Yeah, it, it, you actually it brought me back to a thought that came fleetingly earlier, but because I don't write things down and I haven't got a script, it, it, it went. Um, but by the way, it was Hugh Fernley Wittenstall. It was indeed, yes. I, I, just, yeah, just to really mess with people yes. about what's happening on the show here. If you if you just joined us, we couldn't remember who the chef was behind River Cottage. Um, but but you, it, you, you, you've mentioned um, a couple of things there, which I don't, know if I, I've, I don't know if I've got the skill to pull these together. But negativity seems to travel. Never, negativity has really good PR, doesn't it? Um, and I don't know who it was, was it years ago, somewhere like in, in the kind of Churchillian era where someone said, like, the lies will get around the news three times before the truth's had time to put its pants on or something like that. But, but you know, that's to do with truth and lies. But negativity is the same as well. It's like, have you heard we lost our client? Oh, God, all right, so shit, what we're going to do? Yes. Hold on, but, we'll, but one, seven <laughs> clients yes. in the same week. It's like, let's let's focus on the seven wins. And it, and it makes me think about, um, we've never quite got around to this, but I, I'm going to do it. But no, it would be wasted on me, but I'm going to put a bell on the wall. And when something good happens, I'm going to ring that damn bell, you know. I have an office on my own, so no one will care. But, I, you know, I, but this, you know, people think that kind of thing is corny, but it, but it really does just in, instill in people. If they're having a bit of a tough day, they go, hold on, that bell's went a couple of times today. Maybe it's not that bad. Yeah. As I say, if you're going to do that, buy yourself a, a, a strong and resilient bell because you'd be ringing it an awful lot. Because that's well, the bit, well, yeah. there's lots of positive stuff happens all the time. And, and you're right, you know, we've lost one client versus we've won seven. And one of the things that we often talk about, and I said this to a group the other day, and you'd see them going, and again, that's, it's just something that's really obvious, but virtually everybody misses off. You lose one client, what do you do? You do the proper intelligent thing as a business, and you go and say, right, can you tell us why we didn't win your business? And more often than not, through no malicious intent, they give you the wrong information. They'll just say, we didn't come to you because, because they're trying to be nicely. They're trying to soften the blow. None of us yeah. likes being direct and saying that was pants because nobody would say that, would they? Because that would just be terrible. But, but they don't necessarily give you the truth. But if you went to the seven clients that you'd won and you onboarded them and you got them, you know, absolutely loving what you do. And then you had a really deep and meaningful conversation said, actually, now you're on board and you love what we do and you're really happy, that positive emotional state again. Why did you really choose us? Because we think we know why, but we don't really. So tell us. And we've helped so many firms uncover new ways of marketing and promoting and selling their services and their products because they now understand why customers or clients buy them. Most of the time, we're, and again, we're back to assumptions. We've formed another little loop there. 
we assume that we understand that. And we did this as a business. So back in the days of face-to-face training, one of the bits that people um, really loved and we never thought about marketing ourselves in this basis was the fact that we didn't use PowerPoint for face-to-face training. So we'd rock into somewhere and we might do two, three days, four days, five days, and people would get really edgy. They'd like, oh, you, you definitely don't need a screen. No, you don't like, even want a TV to plug it. No, you wouldn't. No, 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 thanks. No, no, you wouldn't like some. No, we don't have PowerPoint at all. And what we hadn't appreciated was how different that was in terms of a learning experience and this immersive learning and discovery led learning that we really focus on. And we start building that into our pitches, into our conversations, into our marketing. So clients start saying, hey, oh, hang on, that's a bit different. We quite like that. And we, were on, we only got that because we had those win conversations with clients. Why did you choose us? Well, actually, you mentioned this and then you start doing it and loved it. It's brilliant. You should tell more people about it. That's the bit that you really think. But so many people assume that they understand why people bought. That's the seven that you got but they focus on the one that you lost and trying to change something which isn't based on fact or truth anyway. And you end up tying yourself in knots. Yes, listen to the losses because some will give you the right information, but the vast majority just don't give you the right information. So why not listen to those that you do have the trust of to really get that information from and and find that positive way forward? Yeah, yeah, there's there's too many things to unpick there and we probably need to make this into a series Neville, because I'm, I'm quite hopefully you're enjoying this hopefully any listeners or watchers are enjoying this um but one of the things you mentioned there is about getting the right data to inform your decisions often people think they're often people will let their emotions carry them rather than the data and and i don't know facts facts don't care about feelings and all of these phrases again they're all created for a reason um uh, it, it's quite interesting there because someone I saw someone in the office last week and they said oh and I really love that you've got parking spaces now if I took that and kind of went well that's it we need more parking spaces because we'll only get clients if we have a parking space for everybody who turns up that yeah. would be a waste of time because a lot of people think it's just at, at best it's a convenience but it's not yeah. normally it's the thing you pick your accountant based on um and what's, what's interesting about that as well is it leads me then to another thought, which is about the use of absolutes in conversation. So that client who you don't get gives you the right reason or the wrong reason, doesn't matter. And you then, it's quite easy to say, oh yeah, we never get that right. And it's the never bit that's wrong. It, 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 rarely do people ever do things in absolutes. We never get things always right or always wrong. It's always more nuanced than that, isn't it? But you can only tell if you have the data. And, and so the, the, again, there's loads for me to unpick there. Yeah. That, that use of language piece is fascinating for me. So if, I, if I'm sat with a client and say, oh, you know, we never get that bit right, that's a great way for me to dig. So just when you say never, tell me a bit more. Well, when I say never, what I mean is, you know, two out of three, well, actually, one out of three times we don't get this right. So, so what you're saying is, on average, you get that right more often, you get it wrong. Oh, when you put like that based on the data, then yes. So, so, so for me, I love the way that um, we, we describe certain things. And this is the external challenge and, and how you describe things to yourselves and how you, you almost create that culture around a board table or, or around a meeting table that discusses these things. And it, it doesn't take much of a, a kind of a clever questioning technique to make people really think about this. 
And I think for me, the data should be the start of the questioning. So we've got some data and it's not absolute, it's not the answer, it's not definitive. It's let's start a conversation, let's start asking some questions based around the information that we've now got by hands. And, and you're right, you know, great. So, you know, a couple of customers have said to us, well, they've bought from us because we can park outside, let's build a multi-story car park with the millionaires. That's not the way it works. It's, you know, what other factors influence and, you know, how important is that? And if we took the car park away, would you still, all those bits and conversations and questions but the absolute nature of, of, of language I find fascinating. And I, I do this uh, and I've changed now. One of the things that I used to say, Martin, I'm gonna, and then you'll understand why I've just kind of come back to that is I used to say it myself on a regular basis, I'm not good at remembering people's names, which is an absolute, I am not good. Uh, and, and it was, uh, I mentioned this book earlier on, um, Saboteur Within. Uh, it was uh, Matt Hudson, the author of this book, that gave me a bit of a prod and, and Mrs. Timeout is brilliant at reminding me about this. It's not about saying I'm not good at remembering people's names. It's changing the language to say I'm improving the way I remember people's names. Isn't that right, Martin? And that's the bit for me. And it's 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 if you constantly say say to yourself uh, as a business or individually that you operate in a certain way, you will do whether you want to or not. You will naturally head down this route. But if you start changing that language in that descriptive way and just saying, you know, we're improving it that we're changing these things. So, so two, two really big things that I ask myself after every interaction, I'll ask myself after we come off this interview and this discussion, I'll ask myself firstly what went well and how to repeat that for the next one. And the second thing I'll ask myself is what didn't go so well and how might I change that for next time? So next time I will have Hugh Fernley Whittenstall's name written down just in case it crops up in conversation, because you never know when you might need this stuff. All, always, always have that written down forever because no interview will ever go well again without that name to hand. Well, that, that's the takeaaway there. Um, it, Was that it, a deliberate it, it, pun, the takeaway, by the way? <laughs> yes. No, yeah, no. actually, um, you, 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 you touched on one thing there as well is, and, and, you never know whether this is the right person to be attributed with a quote, but I, I know it is Henry Ford. I, I've got it on the screen here who said, whether you think you can, think you can or you can't, you're right. Yes. So yeah, so, so the attitude you take in is probably going to influence the outcome of the thing that happens, isn't it? Absolutely. And there's, you know, there's stacks of, uh, the, when we talk about confidence, it's one of the quotes that we have in our workbooks, actually, the Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't. Uh, and, and, and your attitude and approach in a given area is such an important piece. And I remember back in my corporate days, and I'm going to forget the name of the author here, which really bugs me. There's a book called The F uh, Fish or The Fish Philosophy. Do you come across this or not before? No, no. I'm going to compress it down and we'll have to find the, the book uh, author for the, uh, the notes. It's about a fish market in Seattle uh, where the guys are having a really hard time. Business isn't good uh, and they can't get people through the door. It's cold, it's smelly, it's wet. You have to be there at four in the morning. It's the worst place in the world to work. Uh, and one of the things the author did as a consultant, he went in there and talked about their attitude. So yeah, you can come in and go, it's cold, it's smelly, it's horrible, it's all, you know, all the rest of it. Uh, or you could say, do you know what, we're going to go there today and we're going to have some fun and we're going to laugh and we're going to, uh, you know, uh, make it a joyous place to be. And that's what they started doing. They, they went in, they started singing and whistling and juggling fish and knocking each other over and just making it fun. And we were given this philosophy at VT, uh, and that was who was uh, employed as a corporate buy. 
And I was like, yeah, that's that's a lovely theory, guys. But, you know, really, honestly, attitude, big difference. And I went, OK. And I was known as being one of the first people in the office, about 150 people on our floor. And I sat not far from the lifts. Never for a week, everybody who comes out the lift first thing in the morning, how's things? Oh, it's a bit of a challenge. It's a bit difficult. Like, it's a bit... And you could feel across the, a week just the whole mood of the office. Like, oh, it's just hard work. But then just being the next week, just trying something slightly different. How's things now? Well, it's, it's a bit challenging, but we're getting there. You know, hey, we've got some good stuff happening, but, we, you know, we've got lots more work to do. And you could feel the mood of the office rise just by that subtle change in attitude and approach. And I find this fascinating because, uh, for me, one of the big differentiators that somebody can have in everything they do is, what they choose to do and what they choose to avoid and it goes back to my favorite expression that I build a lot of my personal and business philosophy around which is there's nothing in life you have to do it's about the attitude and the behavioral choices that you make to get you to where you want to be and your attitude is such a big part of that and if you if you approach stuff with a negative attitude you're going to get the negative outcome more often than not if you're positive, you're more likely to move towards the positive outcomes. It's all the research seems to indicate that. So why wouldn't you follow that route? Big, big piece for me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, the, 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 of course, in um, film, there's a great example of, of the benefits of whistling when you work. There was a, a small crack team of experts who used to work down mines Um seven of them and they whistled while they worked I think in that remember that Disney documentary they made about the seven <laughs> dwarfs who you know oh, that was really tedious wasn't it sorry Neville I'm trying to finish with that famous Geordie sense of humour but failing miserably um, I, Neville, I I'm this... very conscious you've given me a lot of your time here and some great insight um what how can people find you if they want to know more about what you're up to and also, will you write the notes that you keep mentioning that are going to go out with this episode? Because <laughs> I haven't been doing that, but that's a good idea. So that's my that's my takeaway. I must have oh, some be a better narrative about what the hell's just happened in this episode. Yeah, I, I, well, so um, I'm, I'm fortunate or unfortunate. I'll, I'll let you decide on that. I've got an unusual name. So uh, Neville Tynemouth, there isn't too many of us about. And I'm, and I'm going to do a poor Geordie Northeast thing now and say our parents were just poor, so my brother has a name that's one letter different from mine. So there is a Neil timeout, but you're looking for Neville timeout. It just looks like Neil, but with, it's got a V in the middle. I'm effectively just an evil with an N at the front of it. So if you search for Neville timeout on LinkedIn, it's probably the best place to find us. Or if you go to the company uh, website, which is newresults.co.uk or newresults.com, uh, you'll find us there, come and say hello, give us a wave, uh, drop us a line. Um, and one of the things that I found fascinating is um, some of the random conversations, some of the little connections, it goes back to that network bit. I, I love these little connections and follow-ups. So if somebody has a question or a thought or a bit of feedback, then just jump onto LinkedIn, it's probably the easiest place. Put in Neville Tynemouth, uh, give me a search, send me a connection with a nice friendly message and start a dialogue and say, hey, uh, can you translate some of those Geordie uh, notes that you made and have you written the show notes yet for Martin? Because I probably haven't. What the hell? What the hell is a ban? <laughs> yeah, what, what is a ban? Shy isn't a mystery, but what the hell is a ban? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Neville, thank you very much. Um, evil time mouth. That's for me. anyone who's, uh, yeah. Um, so, thanks very much, Neville. I really have uh, um, 
yeah, I've, I've, I've made some notes. I've finished with more notes than I started with, let's put it that way. Um, and that, that was great. Thank you very much. And you. no doubt I'll see you around, Neville. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for that.